Hi, I'm Spencer Ziegler. Hi, I'm Serena Halstead. Hello, and I'm Melissa Spilt, and welcome to Data Lit. We're in the interview phase of our series called Talking Data, and so far we have had an episode with two coaches in our district who support the multi-tiered system of support initiative, also known as MTSS. And we have also had an episode with three principals who helped us understand what it is like to lead with data at both the primary and secondary levels. And then we had an episode with three district teachers who helped us understand what it's like to work with data every day in their classrooms. As we begin to wrap up this series, we thought that it was important to talk about how to work with data with a critical eye. So oftentimes we get a data set and we start to analyze the numbers without looking over the data set with that critical eye. However, as a result of the pandemic, we had little to no standardized testing that initial year and then low student participation the following year. And as a result, the field of education was forced to take a step back and ponder on the impact that this data hole would have on data analyses as we return to normal. So Spencer, Serena, do either of you recall a time when you have ever had to question the data or the results you were given? Yeah, I think back to my first few years teaching, I had this wonderful mentor teacher, and he really taught me how to do this. I remember um, at the beginning of the year, you always get the data, the numbers for your incoming kids. And to me, I, I kind of approached those at first like they were just gospel and just like, okay, mm-hmm. they're the grades, these are the, the standardized tests. And this mentor teacher really encouraged me to stop and ask some questions, you know, um, to look at the attendance data, to look at how many schools kids might have been at, to look at some of these other things and ask some questions so that I can better understand what the data was and was not telling us. So that that's the first time um, in my memory that I can think of where I really, with the help of a mentor teacher, questioned the data. Serena, what about you? Similar idea to Spencer. I remember teaching this fifth grade class. I was looking at their data from over the years that from third grade, fourth grade, they have been just failing the standardized reading tests. And I remember getting the students and these, the first thing in the back of my head is that you're failing reading maybe because you can't read well. Mm -hmm. But when I got those students, they were good readers. They were eloquent in their speech but yet they were failing the reading test. And I remember just like, what is going on here? How is it that you're failing the test, but you can read? And so that caused me to pause and think, what is happening with the students in terms of why are they not performing on their reading test well? So yes, both of you give examples, and I have similar uh, stories as well, where you have this way where you treat the data as gospel. So you get it, and you're like, yep, it must be the truth. And then you start to act upon it. But there's always a time when you kind of have to step back and be like, wait, everything doesn't seem to line up. Let me sort of look at it. And so today we are fortunate enough to bring in an expert in our own office to kind of help us talk about how to be better stewards with our data. And so we have with us Julie Malik, Senior Director of School Accountability in the Department of Data Research and Accountability in our district. Uh, it is great to be here. Happy to join the group. I have had many years experience at different levels in education, and I'm very proud to have landed here uh, with this fine group of people and excited to talk to you a little bit today. Thank you, Julie. So, Julie, since you've started with us, you started when we were kind of as a district going back to that quote-unquote normal phase. 
And I know that you have done a lot of work in sort of getting us on this bandwagon of, look, let's stop and listen and look at our data before we start to make decisions. And you have been asking us to sort of refer to this article and these four criteria for evaluating data. Do you want to tell us a little bit about these four criteria and where you got that information from? Thank you, Melissa. Yes, after the school disruptions in 2020 due to the pandemic, the Council of Chief State School Officers, in collaboration with the National Center for the Improvement of Educational Assessment, started a Restart and Recovery Series brief. And this one addressed actually school accountability. But as we looked into these four criteria, we realized that these four criteria are not pandemic-specific. You can use these four criteria for evaluating any data set that you receive before, after, during, and hopefully far after the pandemic, which is what we're all looking forward to. Considering these four criteria, it really allows you to understand the story behind the data, not just the data and taking it by face value, which is what you all gave great examples about. So this allows us to understand the story behind the data so that we can use the data appropriately. So I think we've kept you in suspense. You've heard us talk about there are these four criteria. And so the four criteria include completeness, consistency, impact, and practicality. So we're going to spend some time kind of just diving a little bit about what those four mean and what would it look like at the school level. So let's start with completeness. So completeness is looking to see the extent to what data elements are missing. So that seems like really foundational and really sort of makes sense. So Julie, you want to tell us a little bit more about completeness? Sure. First, let's be, let's be clear. Data is never 100% complete. We always have some gaps. So it's determining if those gaps are larger than normal or if whatever the gaps are, are disproportionate to the data that we have. For example, there were low participation rates in 2020-2021 data, response rates in survey questions, even interim assessment data in the schools if a student is out for a given amount of time. So there's always missing data typically in a data set. So it's truly evaluating to see if that would impact the results. So you're really looking at how much is missing comparing what's missing to see if it is proportional to what is actually there to determine if what's missing would impact the results if those students had tested, if those students had responded to the survey. That sort of reminds me of one of my mentors in the field of evaluation, Iris Weiss. She would always encourage us to ask two things. What's the big N and what's the little N? Mm-hmm. And I kind of, every time I see people put up data, I always hear her voice saying that. What's the big N and then what's the little N? So you can kind of have a context of the data that you're looking, how reflective or how representative it is of the whole population. Exactly. And so, yeah, I think it's always important to uh, kind of get a sense of, yes, is this complete? What is it that we're looking at before we just dive right in and start analyzing. Yeah, especially because like you point out, no data set is 100%. And this makes me think of there's this cognitive bias, neglect of probability, which means essentially that our brains are really bad at determining stuff between zero and 100%. (laughs) We're good when something's 100% and we're good when something's zero, but otherwise we want to jump to one of those poles. So with there being a big difference between completeness at 90% or 40%, Forcing ourselves to stop and ponder this, I think, can help us overcome this cognitive bias. 
Thank you, Spencer. Julie, the next critique for data is consistency. And in defining consistency, they state that were data properties altered? And so we know that during this pandemic, there are a lot of things that have not remained consistent and rightfully so could not. So could you speak to what are we talking about when we say consistency in the data? Sure. Thank you, Serena. I think, as you mentioned, it's, it's changes in data definition, calculation or collection. Uh, we saw quite a few changes, I think, more so in the collection of data over the pandemic. But again, as we continue forward, it could be calculation, it could be a definition. For example, say we've always given assessments in person, face-to-face, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, we have to change to taking assessment at home, (laughs) which happened. So did that impact the data? Did that impact how the data should be evaluated? It may or may not. The other option is perhaps we changed assessment systems. We changed from one assessment vendor to another assessment vendor, and therefore the standards changed, right? The level of success changed. Rather than a level three, it's now a 4.5 or whatever. Whatever scoring takes place, whatever consistency there. So there is a change in calculation. So that needs to be understood. We can't compare a level three in one assessment system to a 4.5 in another assessment system. Those two are not telling the same story. So you have to be very careful when you consider consistency of data sets. That made me think of like when I'm in the class and I have like a project and I've Try to do better, but I have done this at times where, you know, you have a project, you lay it out, you start to grade, and I have a grading scheme in my head. But then as you start to grade, like, I need to change my criteria a little bit. (laughs) And then you tweak it, you got to go back, okay, let me change these. But then I put all of my results up, right? And then I look at it and I'm just like, okay, they're they're not all the same because along, I was inconsistent and so I changed my grading scheme or my criteria or my expectations. And that's how I learned about how, you know, a rubric would, if I had a rubric, that would have helped yes. me. But, you know, just little things like that affects your data. Because if I now take my data set to my PLT meeting and I'm saying, hey, look at what my data is, they don't know that I changed the consistency. But consistency played a, a role in my data that I'm now presenting with my PLT conversation. I like that, Melissa. And I like that you mentioned rubric. I was like, all right, Melissa, you should have been using a rubric from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's that intra-rater reliability. Right. And I think yeah. we're aware of it because we're the ones doing the scoring. We see the inconsistencies. Whereas when the inconsist- inconsistencies are further removed from us, mm-hmm. perhaps we're not as focused about it. So again, asking ourselves these questions and taking time to say, what is the consistency? Right. And see how crucial that is. And I think it's important too, like when we think of this, is this is things that we can look for at that classroom level. It doesn't have to be standardized testing, right? Like the example that I'm thinking of, like I said, they, if, as a teacher, I don't pay attention to my own consistency that affects the data and the results that, you know, that I have. And then again, when we're having PLT conversations. So I think there are things that we can do. And that's the beauty of, of education, and that has consistency changes throughout the year. Teachers adapt to their students, the students adapt to their teachers. So a project that you give at the very beginning of the year, where you don't know each other very well, you haven't built those relationships, might look very different than in March. But hopefully there's a lot of learning that happened in between. So to compare something 
that you collected in the beginning of the year versus what you collected in March, you have to understand there is a consistency issue. And that's probably a good thing in this case, but it does cause changes in what you're looking at. And, you know, just you saying that makes me think of, you know, there are a lot of assessments that we give that there is a beginning of the year, a middle of the year yeah. and the end of the year. And we don't talk about consistency. I mean, we just start to dive and make comparisons without talking about how the students are different. The subtests are different. We are different people and what role consistency might play making those comparisons. We're not saying not to make them, but just to stop and ask how does consistency play a role in looking at the data before we do look at it? And, you know, one more point before you move on, Julie, about the consistency. You know, especially in a time like this, when some teachers are called to teach more than one class, mm-hmm. they would have like four, four of the, they're teaching the same grade level, but different um, groups of students. And is that instruction that you're providing, is it the same so that when you're collecting some data about their performance, are you looking at how the student perform in regards to what you taught? Were you consistent with your teaching right across the groups? And so when you give that test or whatever way you're going to be assessing them, are you going to be consistent with how you look at how they perform on that test? So Julie, the third one is impact, and you talked about it a little bit. And it's hard to talk about impact without kind of talking about consistency mm-hmm. and completeness. So tell us a little bit about impact. It kind of makes sense, again, like, like uh, completeness. But tell us about how uh, impact as a criteria would work when evaluating data. Great. And sometimes this is really the opportunity to think, okay, completeness and consistency, we're thinking about giving assessment and getting feedback and understanding the students. A lot of times this impact focuses on maybe factors that are not part of maybe the assessment system and the assessment and the feedback rotation that we do in the schools. Consider an impact might be something that happened in the community, such as the pandemic, or something maybe just as simple as impact of a, a teacher going out on maternity leave. There's impact that really doesn't necessarily relate to an assessment, but it is definitely impactful to the results of that classroom. So you can consider, you know, maybe there was a a hurricane and there was some devastation in the community. So there are impacts outside of completeness and consistency of assessment and data collection that definitely come into play when you view in the eyes of the data to get that full data story. Yeah, I'm glad you talked about that. I think that's one that I'm hearing a lot of, given where we are. And I liked how you said with the completeness, I I can be here every day showing up as a student every day. But if my teacher is not here every day Mm. and I'm my end counts. But then again, my experience was different because, again, for one part of the year, I had one teacher and for the other part of the year, I may not have had a teacher or, you know, a different types of a different type of instructional experience. Again, where does that fit in when you look at the overall data story? You can also consider students' uh, social-emotional health going into the classroom and how that impacts how they perform. Um, what's going on at home? It's, it's a very important factor that, that we know is out there, but we oftentimes don't connect that when we look at data, particularly individual student data. Yeah, and I think the, the pandemic has forced us to ask a lot of these questions, but as you said in the beginning, hopefully we continue to do so afterwards because there are always factors that impact the data that we're looking at. 
So then the last criteria, and I feel like we've been kind of talking around this in various ways, is practicality. Julie, can you unpack for us a little bit practicality? Sure. So practicality is really, okay, now we understand the completeness, consistency, and impact. Uh, What do we do? (laughs) Right? So odds are for any data set, these three things will have an impact. So practicality is really looking at school leaders to consider before using, releasing this data, make sure you understand the implications of using and releasing this data, particularly if there are other impacts behind it. You also need to consider, is it possible for staff to misinterpret without a lot of background information, without you sitting with each one and saying, okay, that's, this is what this means, this is why it's important. If you just put a chart up on the screen, is that chart right for misinterpretation? That's the practicality. Is it useful in the means to which it's presented? So this is just another way of indicating that practicality is important in the use and presentation of data. Yeah, and I think of, this reminds me of how our responsibility, be it central office to schools or principals to teachers or even teachers to students or parents, is not just to give data, but also to give the tools and context needed to interpret the data. Correct. Mm, I think that's important for practicality. Um, Uh, DQC, we'll drop this in the show notes, put out a brief uh, teacher data literacy, and they stress that um, while teachers often do get training on how to access data systems and reports, they do not receive much, if any, in-service training on how to translate data into instructional decisions or activities in the classroom. So I think it's important to keep that element of the data in mind when we're considering the practicality. I think this series by itself was sort of the, that, what you just said, was sort of the impetus for why we thought that this series on data literacy yeah. was so important, right? Because we all looked at our own personal experiences, and that was the place where it was lacking. We all have interacted with lots of data, but when it comes to using the data, making sure you understand it so that you can make actionable decisions, we knew that that was a place where, as teachers, it would be most beneficial to have something like this. So when we think of schools and teachers and they recognize that their data set is lacking in any one of these areas, Julie, what can they do? We've given them these four criteria, but are we saying that you have to have all four to be able to look at data or is one out of the four? What, what should teachers do if they notice that one of these areas or criteria is missing? Well, I think, again, it's, it's the story of the data, Right. The story of the data is just as important as the data itself. So these four criteria create that story. It is still 100% usable as long as you understand the limitations of that data and how to use it. Because sometimes you look at this data, like I may look at a data set from Spencer and a data set from Melissa, and I don't understand what went into Spencer's life the last year to formulate the information, that the the numbers that are sitting on this page. But before any large-scale decisions, monetary hiring, whatever. You need to understand the story behind the data as you go through. You also have to weigh against the priorities of your organization, right? It may may not matter that you're like, yeah, I'm a little nervous about this data, but we know we need to release it. We need to have this discussion because people are curious and they want to know. So as long as you're able to present the data in a succinct way and include its story, then please go ahead and do that. But just... Mindfulness is key. 
I love that framing of thinking of it as the story. I think that forces us to consider some of the, the elements of context and the information around it in a way that I might not if I'm simply just emailing a spreadsheet. Right. And again, I think we've said several times that the numbers mean more, right, when you consider the story behind it. Yeah. And, you know, Julie, as you're mentioning all the four criteria when evaluating the data, along with the criteria is asking the right questions. Because mm -hmm. you might have maybe three or two out of it, but still you need to ask the right questions. You ask what's the impact, but the impact for who? Right. Mm -hmm. Or you ask about, is it consistent? Consistent for who? Mm -hmm. So it's all about also asking the right questions when you're critiquing the data. That's a great point. Serena. I like the idea of having these four criteria, but overlaying what's the ultimate use of the data. Yeah. Where are we going with it? Where's the question? I think that's a really important point that we haven't touched on. So thank you. All right, so thank you, Julie, for joining us. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on another episode of Talking Data Series. We will join you for a final episode where we will reflect on all that we have learned from our own data literacy journeys. As always, you can send your questions, comments, or further notes to www.wcpss.net forward slash data lit. Thank you, Logan Foster, for the music. And this is us signing off. Goodbye. Take care. Bye. Thank you.